what is this stuff we are downloading? Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Culture Swally. Uh, my name is Nikki, and as always, I'm joined by Greg. Hi, Greg. How are you? Uh, in, in deep mourning. <laughs> in deep mourning, indeed. Yes. Uh, this is a, an unscheduled episode of the Swally, and we were very saddened to find out on Saturday the passing of a, a Scottish legend. Really, you know, one of the the true greats of not of the Swally because we haven't really covered anything he's been in yet, but. A, a true Scottish great, and we thought it would be fitting to have a, a little bonus episode to speak about, of course, Sir Sean Connery. Otherwise known as Big Tam in certain parts of Scotland. So we thought we would, it's not a long episode, we thought we would just have a quick chat about Sir Sean um, and talk about maybe like one or two of our favourite performances and memories. Uh, before we do, for anybody who's not familiar with Sean Connery, I can't imagine who you might be, but I'll give you some very quick uh, Sean facts. Born in Edinburgh in Fountain Bridge in 1930, his actual name was Thomas Sean Connery, hence uh, the Big Tam nickname. Uh, he claims to have lost his virginity to a territorial army lady when he was 14, which is fair enough. Joined the Royal Navy when he was 16, came out at 19, uh, did bodybuilding, did a number of jobs after the Navy, drove a lorry, posed as an artist model, was a coffin polisher, which sounds like a euphemism, but I'm assured by Wikipedia that it definitely isn't. At a bodybuilding competition in 1953 in London, uh, a fellow bodybuilder told him that uh, there was a production of the musical South Pacific that were, that were running auditions. Uh, so Sean went along, he got a part of a chorus boy and that was really how his whole career started. His first big starring role was in a Disney film called Darby O'Neill and the Little People and after that fame, obviously his famous first big famous role that he's probably best known for is the as the original James Bond and his first in the first Bond film Doctor No he would play the role seven times. You know I think to a generation probably certainly my parents and grandparents' favourite James Bond. But what's your first memory of uh, Big Tam, Nicky? I was trying to think about this and can't really remember in terms of, you know, Sean Connery has just always been around. He's, well, of course he is since I was born, but he's just sort of this enigma that's always been there. I think in terms of Bond, growing up when I did, you know, the, the kind of mid... 80s, you know, kind of early 90s, I think all of the Bond films that were probably on television would have been Roger Moore mm. era. So I think it was a little bit later that I watched the Connery Bonds. And of course, to me, Connery is James Bond. Probably my first memories of him would have been, I'll come back to you slightly later, but it, it probably is like Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade or Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, mm. which in my mind... He is in a massive amount, but he's actually only in like the last 30 seconds or something. Yeah, it's true. I, th I, th I think he did it as a favour or something to Kevin Costner, because he was obviously, I think, as I understand it, him and Kevin Costner became good friends when they filmed The Untouchables. You know, so he pops up for like a sort of three minute cameo right at the end of uh, Prince of Thieves. Not quite saving the film. It's not aged very well, Prince of Thieves. I don't know if you've seen it recently. 
I mean, the surprising thing, I mean, I guess we're kind of jumping well ahead here, but, you know, that sort of is right in the, well, just at the end of quite a run for him. So he did the Untouchables in 1987. He did Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in 1989. I think in between that, he did films like The Presidio and The Russia, uh, the Russia House and stuff, which weren't quite as, weren't quite as, uh, as well known, I guess, as the last two films I made. And then he somehow finds, oh, he, 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 before he did Untouchables, he did Highlander, which was a bit of a surprise success, I think. I don't think anybody expected that to be as successful as it was. Arguably, perhaps because he was in it, <laughs> even though he's only in it for like about half the film. You know, and then he, he you know, he, he finds a time. You, know, I, you wonder if he got paid. I think he probably did get paid for that cameo. I saw, uh, got the impression that he's, he was quite canny and very rich. I did read about this, actually. Uh, yes, he did. He got paid, uh, I think, £250,000 <laughs> for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but he donated all the money back to Scotland. Oh, what a legend. He did get a bit of criticism for his support of the SNP, I think mainly because he didn't live in Scotland. But I, I, I did read that, um, I don't know if political rules changed or something, but because he wasn't technically a UK citizen, he had to stop donating money to the SNP around like maybe the late 90s, early 2000s, something like that? There was a lot of criticism of his support, and I think it was a lot of criticism because he was viewed as a tax exile. Mm -hmm. And he did come out, I think, in 2003 to show that he'd paid like £3.7 million in in UK taxes between 97 and 98, I think. And he pointed out that, you know, he he was still paying quite a lot of tax, uh, to Scotland, and yeah, he did donate quite a, a bit in terms of you know he was he was very fiercely proud of being Scotland. I mean, he had Scotland Forever tattooed on his arm. Yeah. He was he was very fiercely and a very fierce advocate of Scottish independence as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a video going around on uh, Facebook. He got he was honoured at the Kennedy Centre of Performing Arts a number of years ago. It was a lot of Scottish entertainment, so sort of pipe bands and. I can't remember the girl's name, but she sang a really nice version of um, Old Bang Zine for him and stuff. But then at the end, there's some quite rousing pipe music and Sean's on his feet doing a bit of a sort of robot dance thing. <laughs> I think if you if you talk about Connery, it's, my God, what a hell of a life he had in terms of his early days. You touched upon there, you know, he was a, a, a he was in the Navy for like three years. He was a you know milkman and he was a bodybuilder. He was a pretty good footballer as well. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think Matt Busby did offer him a contract at Man United, and he turned it down because he was I think about twenty three at the time, and he thought I think acting's probably a bit of a a longer career yeah. in terms of that. So that's why he went into the acting. But to be able to have that opportunity and turn things down and. Oh, he was just such a cool guy as well, mm. in terms of Connery. And a bit of a genuine hard man as well. There's a, a couple of stories that I've read of, of his, his early days, and he was pretty well known around Edinburgh as not a guy that you would mess with. I did read about this. I read that when, he, um, when the production of South Pacific that he joined, by the time it came back to Edinburgh, he'd sort of graduated from a chorus boy to one of the sort of main cast uh, roles. 
when he got to Edinburgh, he was wound up by a gang called the Valdor Gang, or targeted in a in a snooker hall, and uh, they wanted to steal his jacket. And he he stopped them, and then he was followed to a dance hall. And <laughs> according to the online, this is the sort of story that you hope is true. Uh, he launched a single-handed attack against the gang members, grabbing one of them by the throat and another by the biceps and banged their heads together. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, fair play to Big Tab. Oh, uh, yeah, and that was when he was younger. And he continued that as he went on. Did you uh, hear about the story of him and the mob? Um, in, in one particular mob enforcer. Yeah. Johnny Stompanato. Stompanato. Banger Turner's husband. A, a wonderful story of when Sean and Lana Turner were filming... Uh, another time, another place, I believe. And Stompanato was very jealous of their relationship. And he actually flew over to the UK, came on set, and threatened Connery with a gun. Sean Connery <laughs> just simply bent Johnny Stompanato's hand back, forced him to drop the weapon. <laughs> Basically, he had to flee back to the US. But Sean apparently was a little bit worried that the, the kind of mob were going to be after him about that, and he, he went into hiding for a short yeah. time, I believe. I read about that. I mean, the, the interesting thing about uh, Johnny Stompanato was uh, Lana Turner's daughter from a previous marriage ended up stabbing him to death because he was knocking her mum about. Kind of got what he deserved in the end, old Stompanato. But I mean, the, and all, all this is before he, um, he, got, he got the part of Bond. Which apparently Ian Fleming wasn't convinced. He, Ian Fleming sort of sort of saw him as a bit of a athletic stuntman type guy, and he wasn't what Fleming had in his mind when he was writing James Bond. But he was so impressed by Doctor No that he ended up sort of writing in a little bit of Connery's backstory into into James Bond in the subsequent books. Like he, I think he wrote that uh, Bond's father was from Scotland and. But he grew up in Scotland or something like that, just to sort of tie Connery's portrayal together with the with the character in the books. He certainly did, and as you say, Fleming wasn't convinced. He thought he was a an overgrown stuntman, as you say, and it was actually Fleming's girlfriend who told him that Connery had the requisite sexual charisma to play James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's got to be, you know, it's, it's a great compliment, but if your girlfriend is telling you that, then you've got to be thinking, okay, well, I have written this book about this sort of shagger spy, <laughs> so I do need someone who's going to pull this off. And if the female audience are telling me that, then, well, why not? Yeah. And he did, and of course... The, you can't speak about Connery without speaking about Bond. As I say, I think I kind of must have been when I grew up. It was it was always Roger Moore Bonds that were on TV. But yeah, having revisited them all, Connery to me, of course, is Bond. And that's summed up so well, I think, in the, the, the first episode of Knowing Me, Knowing You with Alan Partridge. That's a gold finger. Sean Connery was gold finger. Well done, that was a trick object. Yeah, well Sean, done. <laughs> Sean Connery was a better Bond anyway. Well, you know, interesting you take that position, you know, the Scottish position, I mean. And <laughs> it's true, I think if you ask any Scots person, who's the best James Bond? No one's going to say anyone apart from Sean Connery, surely. I mean, we, like, you know, we, when you and I were kids, I think whenever ITV didn't have a particularly busy schedule, so like normally in the summer or whatever, 
They would just like show the Bond films. Do you know what I mean? So they, it might be, to your point, they would show uh, a Roger Moore Bond film every Saturday for a couple of months or every Sunday. I remember they were on a Sunday night quite often. Or or they would, or they would do Connery. I don't know, when I was a kid, like, because the, the first Bond film I ever saw was Live and Let Die. And when I was a kid, you know, I, I liked Roger Moore, you know, because he's... He's sort of got his tongue well and truly in his cheek, Roger Moore, when he's when he's playing Bond. You know what I mean? And I, you always, when you watch him now, you sort of get the feeling that he can't quite believe how lucky he is <laughs> to, to have the just have the to have the gig. Do you know what I mean? Um, and he's just having a great time. Some of the later films in his run are a bit shite, to be honest. And um, I think the first maybe three are good, and then after that the wheels come off a wee bit. But with with Connery, you know, he's I don't know, he's, he's because he's he takes he seems if he takes a role a lot more seriously and he and he, he's fucking dangerous you know what i mean as bond you know he's just he's even in the very first one uh doctor no you know he's he, when the when the guy comes to the assassin comes to shoot him in his bed and you know bonds kind of made it looked like he's sleeping by sticking pillows under the duvet and stuff and the assassin comes in and empties his gun into the bed and bonds sitting behind the door like having a drink and smoking a fag <laughs> with his gun ready. Do you know what I mean? And when he's got the information that he needs from the assassin, he just fucking lets him have it. You know, I, I always, I mean, I, th- I think my favourite Connery Bond film, and it's got to be perhaps the silliest of all the ones that he did, because the first, the first, like, Dr. No and uh, From Russia With Love and uh, Goldfinger have got, like, a, an element of sort of seriousness to them and little bits of plausibility but when you get to you only live twice it just all goes out the window you know they've got their formula it's fucking volcano layers it's Blofeld with Donald Pleasance there's Blofeld and everything and Bond gets made up to look like a Japanese guy <laughs> it's in disguise it's a Japanese guy and there's a bit when him and his uh, Japanese counterpart are being bathed by these beautiful Japanese women and one of the women, she's got her hair, she's got her hands just sort of under the under the water. You know, it's it's sort of implied that she's maybe given his tackle a bit of a shampooing. And he says, he says, mind you don't get soap in my eye. <laughs> it's fucking mid-60s. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, for me, I don't know if it's because I'm Scottish or, or, or what. You know, I've, I've read a few of the, the original Bond books. And you know, Connery's kind of who I who I saw when I was reading those old Ian Fleming books. Do you know what I mean? He certainly feels the closest to the in terms of the character. He feels the closest to the 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 version in the books to me. I think that was it, as you say. Connery's Bond had a an edge about him, and I think the only other Bond really was was Dalton's. You know, they both mm. used their license to kill quite a bit. Yeah. And yeah. as you say, I think Connery was quite a, a menacing. He didn't he didn't muck around. He would dispatch anyone that got in his way. It wasn't, I suppose, until later you got the, the little quips, so to speak. But I, I would associate yeah. that more with Moore. Connery was more suave. You know, the one that always sticks out for me, of course, is Diamonds Are Forever and when he meets <laughs> Plenty O'Toole. And named after your father, perhaps. It's it's just delivered with such a uh, a beautiful tone uh, that only Connery could. Uh, So yeah, he he really brought so much to that role. But 
it was believable. This this guy was a a proper secret agent that you didn't muck around with, and you know he meant business. Yeah, and and sort of by the time because like the the his his last one originally was you only lived twice, and then he was sort of he sort of said that he was done with the role. He was worried about being typecast and. You know, like famously, uh, his agent and Alfred, he had, he had kind of publicly said that he wanted to work with Alfred Hitchcock. So their publicists or their agents managed to get it together. Now, in those days when actors signed up to a Hitchcock film, they, would, they didn't see a script. You know what I mean? Because it was just enough to be working with Hitchcock that it didn't matter. But Connery was worried that it would be another spy thriller. So he insisted on seeing the script, and apparently um, Hitchcock's public uh, agent said, "Well, Cary Grant never asked to see a script," and Big Tam said, "Well, I'm not Cary Grant." <laughs> so <laughs> by by all accounts, the um, him and Hitchcock got on well. The the the, the film they, they made together was uh, uh, Marnie, but then he, he would come back to Bond uh, twice. First of all, in um, Diamonds Are Forever, as you mentioned. And then he, he ended up coming back in the early 80s to a, a non-official Bond film, not a MGM Albert Broccoli production, uh, but Never Say Never Again, which was like a, a rehash of Thunderball, which like, the book Thunderball was tied up in a load of... But very quickly, Ian Fleming had basically sold the rights to Thunderball before he, to another filmmaker before he made the deal with uh, MGM and Saltzman and Broccoli. And so when they came to make Thunderball, this other guy's name was Kevin McCrory, he was he had to be brought in as a sort of consultant director and producer. Or sorry, not director, a, a producer. But then he still held the rights, so he managed to get um uh I can't remember which studio it was to make basically make it again. Like uh, Kim Basinger is the is the Bond girl in it. But yeah, I mean, as much as Bond, as much as Connery would often say that he didn't want to talk about James Bond, and apparently Michael Caine had said, you know, if you're at one point in the 60s or the 70s, if you meet up with Sean Connery, don't talk to him about James Bond because he doesn't want to fucking talk about it. He wants to talk about other work. You know, I think later on in his life, he was a bit more reflective and a bit more pragmatic about his work in the Bond films. It's so much so that he, he when the when electronics art, electronic arts made a video game from Russia with Love uh, in like the mid two thousands or whatever. Connery lent his voice for the to the character, so he would come back in as late as the mid two thousands, and he would come back to the character again. You know, as you say, in terms of never say never again, that was his last Bond film, and it wasn't official mm. Bond film. Yeah, and I think he was so put off by making that that he actually didn't make any films for a couple of years afterwards. Mm-hmm. I think also part of that was that he had his wrist broken whilst he was filming Never Say Never Again by fight choreographer Steven Seagal. <laughs> I'd love to have seen that fight. <laughs> Connery against Seagal. <laughs> Wonderful. I bet he was a bit unhappy. I would have loved to have heard what Connery said to Seagal at the time. Because you can just imagine that all these, all the sort of elocution training and everything that he got, I'd be back in the sixties to prepare him to, pay, to play Bond for the first time. Probably went out the fucking window when you met this ponytailed fucking thick-headed twat have both barrels for breaking his wrist. 
he sort of famously did sort of just before Never Say Never Again. He had some big films out in the seventies. Like I think probably his biggest film in the seventies was The Man Who Would Be King with Michael Caine, directed by John John Huston. He got some some great reviews uh, for that and for playing an an aging Robin Hood in Robin and Marion with uh, Audrey Hepburn. That he did some ensemble stuff like A Bridge Too Far, The Murder in the Orient Express, did a little part in The Time Bandits. He did that weird science fiction film, Outland. But yeah, to your point, he, he, he kind of left films alone, I think, after Never Snivered Again until he did The Name of the Rose with um, Christian Slater. Have you seen that one? I have, but not for many years. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've watched that. And and going through his filmography has made me want to, to rediscover some of the earlier films that I maybe haven't watched for a long time. Especially like Zardo, for example, because I want to see him in that <laughs> burgundy kind of mankini, mankini that he was wearing. <laughs> it's a very famous photo <laughs> of him in this little mankini <laughs> with a ponytail and you know holding the the pistol. It's uh, wonderful. Uh, but yeah, Name of the Rose. I haven't seen that for a long time, but I I think I will have to revisit that as well. I I think if I do revisit, I'm going to be focusing on this kind of time of his career as well yeah for sure because this is when i mean this is when uh he really sort of came to my attention as an actor obviously I, I only really knew him as james bond at this point i could remember like being in the car with my dad and he had the new queen album which was a kind of magic and on the second side of the album the last sort of four or five songs are all from the highlander soundtrack and my dad describing, because he had seen it. I was only like eight or nine when um, Highlander came out, so I obviously was a bit young to see it. But my dad describing this film, oh, it's about these guys and they live forever, but they've got to have, they've got to fight each other to see who wins this amazing prize. The only way they can be killed is by chopping each other's heads off. <laughs> Just And it's... And it's set in Scotland at the beginning. And I'm just thinking, this sounds fucking... I had to see this film <laughs> since I can. My dad's like, yeah, but it's a bit violent. You may have to wait till you're a bit older. But I ended up seeing it actually not that long after because I was at a mate's birthday party and his parents were a bit less... a bit easier going than mine were. And so his mum rented Highlander for us and some comedy with uh, Gary Coleman off different strokes in it that I can't even remember. I remember it was fucking rubbish. Like, we weren't even watching it. But when Highlander came on, I was just being glued to it. And uh, Connery is just, you know, although he's only in it for about 40 minutes, is uh, Christophe Lambert's mentor, like a Scottish guy. He's supposed to be Egyptian. His character is supposed to be Egyptian or Spanish or something like that, you know, but it's fucking, it's so good, you know, such, such a good part for him. Like I said earlier, it seemed to sort of kickstart this run of um, fucking really, really good roles for him. Yeah, I definitely need to revisit Highlander as well. Uh, it was a, a film I, I do remember very fondly. Mm. from being around that age and of course with yeah Sean Connery being in it and as you say it does kickstart this amazing run with probably my favourite Connery film The Untouchables yeah mine too for sure his performance is just incredible in it as well yeah want to get Capone here's how you get him he pulls a knife you pull a gun he sends one of yours to the hospital you send one of his to the morgue 
that's the Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. I mean that I mean that that that's a film that I could literally watch anytime. Do you know what I mean? There's not that many films that you, that you could truthfully say that about, but you know, if if it comes on, and you know, if you're thinking through the channels and it's on, it doesn't matter where in the film you join it at, whether it's been on for five minutes or an hour or whatever, you're going to watch it to the end. Even if even if it means staying up a wee bit later than you, than you intended or whatever, you know. And if and you know if if I'm flicking through one of the streaming platforms and it's there, if I'm looking for something to watch, I'm going to watch it because it's just I mean it's just a fucking brilliant film and and. You know, when you think about the cast in that film, you've got Robert De Niro, you've got Andy Garcia, you've got Kevin Costner, but Connery fucking steals the film. Do you know what I mean? Just, just, they just, it's his film, like, before it's anybody else's. He's so good in it. No, he certainly does. And he just brings a, a kind of gravitas to the role. You know, he's, he's kind of this you know, humorous, but serious. And again, he just comes across as this, you know, kind of, Irish American yeah. hard man cop, but with a Scottish <laughs> accent, <laughs> and that's a was kind of a famous trope of of Connery. He always really kept his his Scottish accent in in everything he did, and I I, I don't know if maybe it was just difficult for him to to do something else. He's got such a distinctive voice. It must it was probably well, he had such a distinctive voice that probably quite difficult to to disguise with an accent. I mean he. There are some parts, the there are some of his lines in the Untouchables. He does try and sort of Irish it up a wee bit, but to your point, for the most part, he's just talking in his own accent. It's fucking doesn't he give a fuck. Even when he, even in in in, in Highlander, when he's supposed to be whatever Spanish or Egyptian or whatever, he's obviously just said, "Look, you're fucking lucky to have me in this film, right? So I'll I'll come from wherever the script says I come from." But I'm not. I'm not doing a fucking stupid accent. <laughs> Forget it. And I think that was the thing. His voice was so distinctive, and it was so lampooned. You would say as well, and kind of you know people would would take the piss. And I'm, I'm not going to do any Sean Connery impressions. It's a very famous you know impression that you can do, and it's kind of a a go to as well that you would have. I've, I've been reading a few stories. There was a a great one about Ali McCoyst. And he used to apparently do this great Sean Connery impression. And he would leave answer phone messages for like other members of the Rangers team, for example, and stuff, doing his Sean Connery voice. Of course, Sean was quite good friends with David Murray. Right. So it had got back to Sean that Ali McCoyst was doing this. And apparently they were playing Celtic at Parkhead. And just before the game in the dressing room... <laughs> The door opens and in walks Sean Connery. <laughs> and, and Ali said he was thinking, oh, fucking hell, that's fucking James Bond right in front of me. Connery looks at Ali, goes right up to him and goes, right, smart arse, let's fucking hear it then. <laughs> and Ali says he just crumbled and turned and he's like, oh, uh, uh, and then everyone just cracked up. Apparently, you know, it was it, it was all taken in good jest. But I can imagine. Yeah, I've seen a few red carpet interviews with Sean, and he was a uh, he had a really good sense of humor yeah. as well. He didn't suffer fools gladly at all. He did have a good sense of humor, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he. I think he had that very dry sort of Scottish sense of humor. 
You know what I mean? Um, that we've seen loads of great examples of in some of the things that we've reviewed on the on the on the on the Swally. His next role after the Untouchables was playing Indiana Jones's dad in um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And you know, I remember going to see this at the cinema, and and by this point, you know, I knew who Sean Connery was. You know, what I mean, I, I I'd probably seen all these all these Bond films uh, through virtue of the lazy scheduling on ITV <laughs> over the years. You know, I mean, I think I think for for an actor like him who is also a big personality, and you know, he's he's he, there's a lot of great performances. He, he, he sort of made the roles his own. If you, if you compare him to an actor like Robert De Niro, who was very much, and is very, or maybe not so much now, but certainly was very much a method actor, and he would, like, he, he put on all the weight for Raging Bull, and he, he learned to box, and he, you know, he sort of, he sort of like inhabits the, the, in, the, the characters that he's, he's playing. Like, you know, Connery is, is still Sean Connery in a lot of the films that he does, as, as brilliant as he is, but, I I thought in um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade he sort of he's sort of not Sean Connery as much <laughs> in that film. You know he's a he's the academic. He's a bit you know he's he's not like kind of jumping in there and getting into fist fights and stuff and doing daft stunts and all that sort of stuff. He, he he's sort of smart enough to understand that it's Harrison Ford's film as Indiana Jones and he's the star and he's the hero, but he's still. You know, he, he still manages to be almost the, well, not almost, but very much the second lead in the film. You know, but arguably his his name should have been right beside Harrison Ford's at the top of the poster. Do you know what I mean? I do, yeah. And he's he's wonderful as, as Henry Jones Sr. And it's the, I think that's why Last Crusade is so well thought of. Because, you know, you have to remember, Raiders of the Lost Ark is an incredible film. Then Indiana Jones went off a bit with Temple of Doom. People don't rate that as highly. Yeah. It's, it's quite a dark film. Yeah. It's And then for Last Crusade, Connery and Ford, just they are just this wonderful, comedic double act. Not over the top comedic. Yeah. You know, they deliver the line. Is that not when... Um, I think Sean Connery delivers the line about naming Indy after the dog. Yeah. And... It's it's <laughs> you just get, you immediately just sense this kind of like bitterness that's gone on for years, yeah. like with their relationship, and it's it's just fantastic. And you, I mean, I think there's only maybe about fifteen or sixteen years between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery, but you 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 buy them as to your your earlier point, you totally buy them as father and son. You know what I mean? And to and for 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 him to come into the third film. In a series, you know, I mean, you know, you know what I mean. They not normally by the time the third film comes along, the trilogy is wobbling a wee bit. Do you know what I mean? There's not very many good third films in the trilogy, like Karate Kid Three, not very good. <laughs> Return of the Jedi, it's okay. It's not the best. You know, it's a bit, it's a bit loose. Um, but you know, this is just as strong as, if not, perhaps in a lot of ways, it's stronger. Than Raiders of the Lost Ark, and and I think because Connery's there, do you know what I mean? Because he he's he plays that second lead. So yeah, so you know, sort sort of getting to the kind of fag end of his career, he would do like some more big box office hits after Indiana Jones, uh, the the Hunt for Red October for one, and uh, the Russia House. Perhaps you know, and tell me what you think. Um, perhaps his 
his last best, his last really good performance before he hung up his spurs uh, in The Rock with Nicolas Cage. What's your thoughts? Your best. Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. That is what I think of Connery and The Rock, and it will always be. It's it's the go-to line from The Rock. Uh, yeah, I, I I loved The Rock when it first came out, oh, yeah. and I think I had it on VHS, and I used to watch it all the time, and it's one of those films I keep meaning to go back to and re-watch again, and I'm, I'm definitely going to have to now. It's it's a great performance in uh, as, as Connery um, in The Rock. It's, it's really good, and yeah, possibly one of his last... Great performances. Yeah, I mean, he, he would go on to do Entrapment with Catherine Zeta-Jones. I don't think I've ever seen that whole film. I've seen part of it. I, I have fond memories of, of <laughs> part of that film. I, know which, I think I know which part um, you mean. Probably the part you've seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an okay film. It's it's not amazing, um, but it, it's not great. I think he did have a couple of bombs yeah. in the the later stages, such as you know First Night and and the the terrible Avengers film, yeah. which uh, I don't think I've ever seen. I've never seen it, but I, I didn't want to see that. And I remember going to the cinema to see The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and not being very impressed with it. Yeah, I never saw that at the cinema. My old flatmate Derek, uh, he because <laughs> I. I mean, I, I avoided it because it because I read that it wasn't very good, and I thought, well, I'm not going to cinema to fucking see something that I know that everyone's saying isn't very good. I'll just catch it on video or whatever. And I remember Derek coming in one night saying, "Oh, I bought this D- <laughs> I bought this DVD from um, no, uh, from Asda, whatever, on his way home." He's like, you know, it's got fucking, it's got like the Invisible Man in it, it's got Doctor Hyde in it, and I was like, oh, "Is it the League of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen?" He was like, "Yeah." yeah. And he stuck it on. And I remember, like, I didn't hate it. You know, I mean, I, I've read the comics, but I read the comics since seeing the film. And the comics are, it's Alan Moore who wrote Watchmen and V for Vendetta and From Hell and stuff. The comics are much better. But he's good in it. I mean, famously, that was the film that kind of made him retire because he, he thought, like Stephen Norrington, the director, who had directed Blade, the first Blade film, Connery just didn't get on with him at all, just thought he was fucking useless they ar- argued a lot, it says on Wikipedia that <laughs> Connery announced that Stephen Norrington should be locked up for insanity or maybe in- insanity but then to to Connery's credit he worked on the film after it, they, filmed, they finished shooting it, he tried to get something decent through the editing process and stuff like that but yeah, I didn't hate it but it wasn't, it wasn't great you know? No no, I wouldn't say it was it was his finest work, but it was okay. It wasn't uh, too bad. And then famously, he turned down the role of uh, of Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Uh, apparently, he said he couldn't really understand the script. Apparently, he was offered thirty million dollars along with fifteen percent of the worldwide box office receipts, which would have earned him four hundred and fifty million dollars. If he had done it, and um, after the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he decided, you know what, I've had enough. I'm going to retire. I think he he lived in the Bahamas, right? In his house in the Bahamas. Yes, it was the Bahamas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in the Bahamas. Yes, because he had. Uh, yeah, it was uh, the Bahamas that he he retired to. Yeah. 
And yeah, as you say, he said that idiots are now making films in Hollywood. Yeah. There's his decision to retire. And of course, when they said that it came out, they were making a fourth Indiana Jones film, which in my mind does not exist. They had asked him if he was going to reprise his role. And he said no, that retirement was just too much damn fun. And fair enough to him. You know, he stuck to his guns and he didn't. He did come out of retirement briefly, though. In 2012, I believe. Yes, he did. He, he lent his voice to a, a Scottish animated film called Sir Billy the Vet. He served as a executive producer as well. Was Billy Connolly busy that day? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But um, speaking of Billy Connolly, and maybe we can put uh, the link up uh, to this speech. But where Billy Connolly was um, asked to sort of give Sean Connery the Scott, the sort of Scottish BAFTA Lifetime Achievement Award or something, and his speech is absolutely brilliant. Billy Connolly's got Sean Connery absolutely convulsing with laughter, uh, given the, uh, this speech. So it's it's definitely worth uh, it's definitely worth a few minutes of your time. So yeah, so uh, as you said at the top of the podcast, with sad news the other day um, on Saturday uh, at the ripe old age of ninety, by all accounts he. Um, he hadn't been well for a while, and uh, we can we can only all hope for this. But he slipped away peacefully in his sleep, capping off a sixty-year career, pretty much at the top of it for the whole time up until they retired. Do you know what I mean? Rest in peace, and uh, I'm sure we'll be maybe trying re- revisit. A... Well, the thing about the thing is for the podcast is that he didn't really make any Scottish films, so he he sort of fucked us up. <laughs> <laughs> for reviewing him on the swally. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I think Highlander is definitely something that we could be doing. I mean, fuck me, it's called Highlander, and it's <laughs> a lot of Scottish actors in it. <laughs> it's got Connery yeah. in it. Yeah, I, I think that could definitely be something that we could look at, and I, I'm sure. I, I think it depends on you know the what we we think of criteria for the swally. We can certainly do Sir Billy the Vet. Yeah as that has quite a strong Scottish cast looking at the, the voice acting. Yeah. It's got uh, Swally favourite Alex Norton <laughs> and uh, Greg Hempel and Ford Kiernan in it as well. And I see even the, the cartoon of Sir Billy looks a wee bit like uh, Big Tam. It certainly does. As I say, very sad time, and I think it's, the, it's not often that you get someone like this, uh, a kind of icon passing away, and... I think it was you that actually told me I was out um, shopping on on Saturday. Got the the message that he'd passed away, and I, I you know, did like, oh, that's that's really sad. I think that's not often you get that really, mm. but it did affect me in a bit of a way. Not since I think Bowie passed away as you know someone of of uh, celebrity status dying has kind of made you a bit sad. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd have to agree with that for sure. I I can't think of. Again, like you, apart from Bowie, any sort of famous person that's passed away, and if and you know, because like we were saying earlier in the in the podcast, you know, we'll, us and countless others, even like you know, my my mother is sixty five, and she would have grown up watching Connery. You know what I mean? As Bond and all the other roles that he played in the seventies and stuff. If if anybody can be called an institution. It's definitely him, you know what I mean. He's I mean, a, a true icon, and uh, I think we're I think we're all a bit poorer uh, for him not being here anymore. 
But it's just another fucking shitty thing that's happened this year. Do you know what I mean? Twenty twenty, what a cunt of a year. And uh, I don't know who I don't know who who you, who you could really compare him to. I think the only person I could really compare him to in, you know, kind of similar era, I guess you would say, in similar longevity, would be one of his best mates, Michael Caine. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. And I think they've had not so much similar career. I mean, Kane's had a lot of iconic roles as well. And okay, he did have a a fair bit of time, I would say, in the wilderness. You know, I think arguably Sean Connery was a bigger global star than Michael Caine. You know what I mean? He certainly made a lot more kind of Hollywood films. Although, you know, you could maybe argue that the quality of a lot of Michael Caine's work is maybe a little bit better, but certainly in terms of profile, you know, I, I think maybe because of Batman and because of the projects that Christopher Nolan has put him into, and he's, he's actually very good in, what's the one that is the, uh, the Prestige? He's very good in that, Michael Caine. Um, you know, maybe he's more recognisable now to an American audience, but I think you go back sort of 20 years, I don't think he would be quite as recognisable and certainly not as famous as is Sean Connery. Bond. James Bond. I've enjoyed talking about Big Tam, the man with the the biggest milk round in Edinburgh, depending on who you talk to. We hope you've enjoyed this uh, little bonus short episode of The Culture Spoiler. Yes, so thank you for everything, Big Sean. Thanks for the memories. And we will make sure that we review one of your films on the Swally in the near future. I'm, I'm certain, we're going to look into the criteria, but I am certain that Highlander will class as a Scottish film. Okay. Then I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to reviewing Highlander, because I fucking love it. Okay, well thanks very much, Greg. I'll speak to you soon. All the best.